Hi, and welcome to the Dial to Dialogue. In this podcast, we talk about open data, open medical data, and AI from above and beyond, and explore its implications to our world. On this episode of our series on the Delta Dialogue, we will explore the horizons for AI, such as personal assistance, quantum dreams, and shaping tomorrow's tech landscape. I'm your host, Emir Mustafa. I am joined today by my co-host and commentator, David Wood, and our guest speaker, Satyan K. Bordeloy. He is an award-winning scriptwriter and columnist. He is also a technology columnist at sci-fi.com and is developing and writing multiple web series. He is working on a novel about humans' first contact with AI singularity and fantasizes about being at the intersection of study of consciousness, AI, and quantum mechanics. Yeah. No, and uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, um, Satyan, about uh, another very important article you wrote for the UN, is that you predicted the rise of personal AI assistance as the next trillion dollar business. So how do you envision these assistants transforming various industries beyond tech? See, uh, when it we need to understand that human beings like uh, technological developments that help us. Anything that helps us, we'll embrace quite easily. Uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence, uh, it was it had it had been in existence. The the current new wave of AI had been in existence in 2012, but it was mostly the industrial use, the speech to text. Uh, though it is personal, but it was in the background. This coming into the forefront, AI uh, has happened recently in the last one and a half years, a year, year and a half. Uh, so the prediction uh, for this is very simple that every business in the world that you see that has become a trillion dollar business is the one that has been adopted, mass adopted by people. Uh, and when it comes to artificial intelligence, there is a great potential for it to be adopted by the masses because anyways, most of our life lives are digital. Uh, most of the things that we do is in the digital world. So to have an intelligent system inside the digital world helping us do things like, for example, in the 2018 conference, IO conference, Google, Sundar Pichai demonstrated uh, how uh, it, the system, I think was called Duplex, could make a call and make an appointment uh, to your hairdresser and uh, for you and choose a time and uh, give you that your, yeah, your uh, uh, appointment with the hairdresser has been fixed for this time and you can go ahead with it so so the ability of ai systems to do and help us with our the complexity of life that has grown thanks to artificial intelligence is uh the what will be the next trillion dollar business uh so in that sense so that's why pi which is a personal ai assistant that we will have in all of our devices uh, which will help us do, like, I want to make a presentation on, uh, let's say, the point David made and I made. Like, what are the benefits of AI and what are the side effects of AI? Let's say I want to present both the sides to a government agency. Uh, I can make a PowerPoint presentation. I can just tell AI uh, system, personal assistant that is there in my uh, mobile phone that I want to make a PowerPoint presentation on these. And the points that I know in just two minutes, I can tell it that these are the points, tuck, tuck, tuck. Uh, these are the four points, like David just said, uh, which can be danger. And these are the other four points which can be useful, uh, what AI can do to help. So please dig out more information and make a presentation of 30 slides. 
it can do the work i don't have to sit and do individual slides so that is the vision of a personal ai assistant uh, that all of us will have i mean it's it's not a vision it's already happening a lot of those things we are already using i am personally using bard and chat gpt for for a lot of those digital things that i currently do the only thing different which i envisage in the article is that uh, it will be a one uh, one system uh, that will do all these multiple things like the broad ai thing that we are discussing not individual apps or individual right now everything is scattered all over the place it was how it is how mobile phones were before the iphone uh you had a computer which could do your computing uh, you had a phone which could do your phone and blackberries allowed you to use your email on your phone but the iphone was the first device uh, it was not the first smartphone the first smartphone was ibm simon in 1991 which could do a lot of things that the iphone could do but it mixed up a lot of things and brought it to one device before people and people were like yes in this one simple small device we could do a million different things so that is the vision of ai for the future when it comes to individual use every human being uh, will be able to use this one larger app uh, which will tie up to the other apps that you might have on your phone on your laptop or wherever and these system in together will help us help us live our digital life uh in a much more simpler easier faster way com- uncomplicate our life so to speak so that was the vision uh, that i had envisaged in that article i think google's sergey brin said more or less the same in 2010 famously at the earlier google conference he said he wants google to become the third half of people's brains you know we talk about right brain left brain and he said there should be the google brain and all three of them should be operating together and it's taken a while for that realization to come but they had google assistant which occasionally comes up with clever useful information and over time it will get better so i think the vision has been around for a long time i'm sure bill gates would more or less he say he had the same vision too in terms of a single device that can do the whole lot and so i think the vision is important but execution is critically important too and i think the key thing that's holding up the wider adoption of ai personal assistance isn't so much like a vision it's the difficulty in implementation and where i give apple particular credit with their iphone compared to earlier smartphones such as those by nokia and motorola and sony ericsson which had many of the same features that were present in the iphone is that they implemented some parts better they put a more powerful hardware in which shocked everybody in the industry because it was deemed to be too expensive they thought that broke the rules of the industry that phones couldn't exceed a certain price well apple decided they would make the phones more expensive and they would pay for the phones but the phones would be paid for by an innovative new business strategy namely that people would cover the costs over an extended contract a data contract so they did that well and they concentrated on one or two particular apps in particular they concentrated on the web browser not an all singing all dancing mobile web browser because they deliberately excluded something called macromedia flash many websites back in 2007 had flash and steve jobs said we're not going to do that so it wasn't that they did everything it was that they did a small number of things exceedingly well including their web browsing experience so i give them credit for vision but i give them credit for execution as well and i think the race now is between who can execute best So you are absolutely right that is what i mean that's been the vision of everyone but sadly if you look at what google has been doing despite having that vision is double down on their search engine 
is double down on figuring out how to use AI uh, in the search department, not in terms of how to use AI for everyday life. I don't, I, I don't think that's quite fair. If you listen to Demis Hassabis, who is now head of both Google Brain and DeepMind, he has always said that the vision that he's motivated by is using intelligence to solve every other problem. So I don't think he can be uh, said to be just focusing on search. They want to make all of Google's uh, apps more intelligent, whether it's the searching, the navigation, that will come up with uh, new routes, the routes you may not have thought of, routes that uh, may be uh, beneficial in other ways. It's no longer just saying, here's the quickest route. It might say, here's another route that saves you money. Here's another route that is more interesting from a scenic point of view. So I don't think it's quite fair to say that Google are only thinking about search. They have a wide range of different motivations, as we saw, in fact, from the protein folding app that you already mentioned. Developed where? Deep inside Google. I meant in terms of uh, when it came to people uh, using their uh, artificial intelligence and how you and me can use them for their apps and behind the scenes uh, for their enterprise softwares as well. The use of artificial intelligence that they have been doing has been phenomenal. They're the pioneers of artificial intelligence, actually. All most of the developments that we see, the very term transformers that is in charge GPT comes from the research from Google. So they have been doing that, but also I understand that they have had internal pressures, uh, the ethical issues that their internal employees that have uh, led them to walk out and uh, do some protests in 2018 and 2019, those also have hampered there and they have been very careful about it. So those things have hampered. Yet, uh, I would insist that when it came to using uh, their different apps to create something that uh, all of us can do, especially I, I talk about personal uh, a singular app like the iPhone, uh, where that single app can do multiple things. I think Google is the Google is in the best, uh, strongest position to develop something like that. Yet that and like you rightly said, uh, Sergey Brin had that vision. Yet over the last decade, though they have developed great power and potential and great apps and great programs, including the Duplex. I mean, there is this entire website dedicated to all the programs and artificial intelligence app that they have created and they killed. Uh, despite its potential for use for the future. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't follow Google so well. Uh, that, why they have not focused on the personal use of artificial intelligence, despite being such a, using AI for so many other things. I think because the, the fact that they shut down some projects is actually reassuring rather than something to criticize. Sensible companies try many experiments and when they see that some of them are more promising than others, they should shut them down. Steve Jobs did the same at Apple. When he came back to his second stint as CEO of Apple, within a short period of time, he shut down many of the projects that Apple had previously been doing. He said, we're going to concentrate on a much smaller portfolio. And that focus allowed them also to then develop the iPod, which changed their fortunes, and the iPod led to the iPhone and to the iPad and so forth. So shutting down projects doesn't mean that the company has given up on that whole field. It means that they have another mechanism in mind by which they can get to that same outcome. So I wouldn't write Google off. I still think the company that's most likely to achieve artificial general intelligence and the vision you have of a really useful personal AI assistant it's probably Google, and I have no shares in them, so I'm just saying this as an independent observer who has many friends, shall we say, in different places in Google, and they let me know what's going on there, and I see no reason to write them off. No, absolutely. I'm not writing them off. 
my only issue is uh, my only fear i love google my only fear is of google turning into a xerox xerox in the 60s and 70s literally invented the digital age they invented the internet they invented the mouse they invented the graphical user interface everything almost lot of the things that preceded the ai age was invented by xerox but they tried to shut them down why because they were making money out of selling xeroxes xerox machines photocopy machine they they're making billions of dollars to care about this future this thing that was coming so my only fear is that i'm not nobody can write google down i mean they i mean if anybody who's writing about ai who knows even a little bit about ai knows what google has done when it comes to ai my only thing comes from a love for google that uh, they shouldn't lose out on this opportunity which they have created for the rest of the industry which for the rest of the world by their developments and they are themselves missing out on so that, that is my only uh, concern when i say that that they shouldn't miss out on all of those things because they are in the best position to do and also ethically google has been doing a lot of good things like you rightly said that lot of the lot of the things that they closed down was also because out of the protest that people uh, their own internal employees have had over those projects so that is a beautiful things which open ai despite their name don't have despite the name open ai they are a very close company uh, they don't have those ethical concerns uh, which has also helped them go ahead i hope google can somehow match that so it comes actually from love of google rather than the other way around you have mentioned protein folding a few times so i wanted to touch upon medical ai as well one thing i wanted to ask is like you emphasize the importance of open medical data for the advancement of medical ai how do you envision balancing the need for data access with uh, concerns about privacy and security see uh, first of all the data that is i'll give you the example of the british system the nhs uh, which is one of the most beautiful system uh, deep mind uh, which google took over and a lot of google's development from ai a lot of their initial projects with it was with nhs some some wonderful projects that they have done there uh, when it comes to medical database all human beings we are from three different corners of the world uh, we have different physiologies when it comes to how we look from the face our facial structure our skin color our other things but at the core of it all of us are the same the white blood cells the rbcs everything is the same in all human beings across the world so therefore the therefore sharing medical database is a no brainer everyone should be able to share it and should be able to use it all over the world all kinds of people uh when it comes to the ethical uh use of it i mean again uh it has to do with how we use the data for example i gave the example of nhs nhs was because when deep mind started using nhs database they weren't using database of a individual person all the data that was given to nhs uh by was given by nhs to deep mind for their research work and for seeing how ai can be used was anonymous so they had a data set set of uh, i think they got a million uh, or million or 100000 i'm forgetting the exact number they got those database which was anonymized so it was not of any individual but they were just they just got the data that this human being over this period of time developed this kind of disease these were the medications so it's a, it's a human uh, data that will help the entire planet uh, help and grow so so uh, the ethical concerns the privacy concern can be tackled by not having individual person's name on it uh, and uh, it is something that we need to use it if we uh, are to use it are to use ai for the purpose that it is it can help us all i find this interest of yours in ai consciousness and quantum mechanics quite intriguing how do you see these field intersecting actually and 
what potential breakthroughs could emerge from this convergence? Artificial intelligence, despite our fears of it, uh, is as old as computing. In fact, it was the original vision of our founding fathers of computing. Alan Turing was one of the founding fathers of computers. He's also the, one of the founding fathers of artificial intelligence. We use the Turing test to this day. Uh, it is. It's. It doesn't use any different kind of logic system other than what we have already been using in computers. It doesn't use any separate kind of hardware. We are we are using the same hardware that we use in computing. It's just the use of logic that is a little different. Uh, the the various notes that we made out of it. Instead of going vertical, we go horizontal and all across. And the weights that we provide to the information uh, into this into those notes. Uh, the only different kind of uh, in in terms of technological development that have happened is quantum computing. Quantum computing is a completely radically different, unique uh, way of doing computing, way of doing anything uh, in the world actually. Uh, and it doesn't require so 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 normal computing is zeros and one, yes and no. It's it's very simple. But a quantum computing, a qubit can be both zero and one, can be both yes and no, can and multiple qubits can have multiple permutations and combinations of that. That's why they can do potentially can do a lot of calculations much faster. So it is a completely different paradigm of doing everything. So when we talk of artificial intelligence, my fear personally is what happens when we get to the which we will uh, to the phase of quantum intelligence where artificial intelligence is married to quantum computing uh, and they are not and the systems that we create uh, create then are not limited by the by the bits zeros and ones but they are qubits firstly secondly human beings are also supposed to be quantum mechanical systems we are not digital systems the difference between digital systems and us is that we think in a, in a quantum mechanical way uh, superposition quantum entanglement those are the ways that life on the planet operates so where that field uh, leads to, where that goes to in the future, we have no clue as of this moment. So that is one tiny thing that uh, I do fear, like David uh, uh, talked about. Uh, so yeah, so and, and it will change everything. It will change artificial intelligence, it will change medicine, it will change, I mean, what is happening with artificial intelligence is just a trailer. But uh, with the development of quantum computing in the next, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, we don't know how fast it will grow. Uh, there's a radical shift uh, and this is more like a trailer for a feature film that we'll see then when all of that happens. I wanted to also touch upon the, the novel you're working on and that ex it explores humans' first contact with an AI singularity. What themes and ideas are you exploring in this novel, um, if, if, if I may ask, and uh, what inspired you to delve into this subject matter? Uh, in the novel, I'm trying to talk about artificial intelligence, which is our latest creation, and mix it with something called the caste system, which is a different form of racism uh, in India. It's a unique form of racism that is very unique to India, but India is exporting it to the rest of the world as well. So in it, one, uh, the main protagonist is a woman uh, who realizes that this entity or this artificial system that she's working with is an... Uh, is what we call AGI, uh, Artificial General Intelligence, which has human level of empathy, emotion and all of that. My main idea for writing that was to explore the contradictions between an ancient India and the modern artificial intelligence and how both of them are coexisting in this world. It is just absurd to me that both of them can coexist. Secondly, I wanted to find out uh, what can lead to an AGI. 
I mean, the term AGI has been brandished around for the last almost 40 years. Uh, we have always, Bray Kuzvel is one of the main guys who has, who has talked about it. Uh, we have always talked about it, but what is it that will lead to a system which is self-aware, uh, which has what I call AC, artificial consciousness, which has an artificial consciousness. So those are the themes that I'm trying to explore, uh, agency, free will, emotions that we have, what, 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 how can a machine and can it even feel it someday? So those various ideas I'm trying to uh, mix into a fictional story uh, in this novel. Now, what I'm also really curious about is, is, is how do you think uh, society, you know, the regular person should prepare for potential scenarios arising from such a bad or good uh, events? Well, I think most of us are, would be more bothered about the bad turnout of what can happen from it. Like, like David rightly, yeah, like David rightly said, the societal impacts of it in terms of the the most simple thing is how it affects our jobs. Uh, that that is something that is happening right now. We don't need to talk about the future. It is it is millions of people are losing their jobs because AI is automating automating a lot of those jobs. So that is the most important thing that we can prepare right now. I think the most important thing, I mean, to, to, to put it very honestly, I had been fired from a project, a screenwriting project, because the uh, the producer thought that ChatGPT could do a better job than me. I mean, that has already happened. So I'm, I'm a personally, I'm, I've personally seen the bad effects of uh, artificial intelligence and these systems when it came to how people perceive them. So that, so, so that is, that is the thing that the first thing we need to remember as is, as we always say that change is the only constant uh things are going to change what we forget is we forget to change we forget to evolve we forget to grow the most important thing is we need to remember that that things are changing we are no longer in the age of my parents for example where they hope they joined a job they hope to read my father did one job he retired from he worked on that job for almost more than 30 years retired from that job lived on his pension till he died uh, that day is no longer possible, no matter what job you are into. And I think that's a good thing in a way because it, it keeps us sharp, it keeps us better, it, it helps us grow and develop. So I think that is the primary thing that we need to remember. And like the dangers, again, what David talked about in terms of uh, the dangers, societal dangers of conspiracy theories and those ideas developing, I think a scientific mindset, a logical scientific mindset, Developing that is uh, very crucial so that those things don't happen. I like what you said about change being a constant or the only constant. So I do suspect that the kind of change that AI is bringing is a more radical change than what we've heard before. You pointed out earlier, Satchin, that people's jobs were changed in the past. People used to work in farms were displaced with the introduction of farm machinery, but they could get jobs in factories. Then they couldn't get jobs in factories, but they could, or their children could get jobs as software engineers or search uh, consultants. But the message which has been given in the past, that when you're out of job because an AI has taken over, some automation has taken over, you can consider three things. You can reskill, you can relocate, or you can even reconceptualize yourself. In other words, you can uh, learn some new subject which you didn't know about before. You can learn Python, for example. You could move to a different part of the country where there is uh, your skills are still in demand. Or reconceptualizing yourself means stop thinking of yourself as a farmer. Maybe start thinking of yourself as a creative instead. 
But the concern now is that AI is changing so quickly that these three traditional solutions are no longer going to be sufficient. We might try and learn Python because we're put out of a job. But by the time we've learned Python, it turns out that AI is much smarter than us in doing Python. You know, So AI has got the new job rather than us having the new job. It's true there will be some humans involved in creating these new AI systems, but there needn't be 8 billion people employed. So I think the biggest answer to how can humans prepare for these changes is we have to change politics. We have to ensure that there is a redistribution of the benefits of technology in a greater way than ever before. And some people say, oh, this is socialism, or this is uh, destroying incentives. I think we need to do something like that. Otherwise, more and more people are going to have that same rather miserable experience that you've just reported, that you thought, presumably, your job was safe, and suddenly it's no longer as safe as you thought. Completely agree, David. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. There, there is this universal uh, basic income, uh, UBI, that is being proposed uh, for exactly what you're saying, David, that the benefits of technology to be passed on to people, to at least to begin with from those people who are affected by such AI systems. But yeah, but uh, it's like you rightly said that a lot of people complain, look at it as socialism or communism and don't even allow the those ideas to come out to the fore. So, so, so I don't know. I mean, a positive way to look at it is interesting times that we are heading into. <laughs> These, especially since you, Satya, have also experienced this kind of negative impact of AI on your, uh, on your career. What advice would you or do you have for young professionals interested in exploring journalism or screenwriting or even AI consciousness and quantum mechanics. What advice could you give these uh, these young professionals interested in exploring these multidisciplinary areas in their careers? First of all is to remember that uh, these are artificial systems and the context and meaning for anything comes from living beings. Uh, be it us or be it other animals on the planet, microbes, they have free will, uh, they, they can change the planet like and these are just tools first and foremost is to remember that these are tools rather than something very unique or very different that we have created uh, secondly the disruption is natural i think the ideal thing would be to have multiple uh, careers uh, multiple things that you can do have to have multiple interests you, you cannot have just one interest unless you are exceptionally good at it. Uh, like David said that even if you learn Python today, tomorrow you find that AI gets much better at it. So having different uh, paths uh, for career, for your own ideas and what you want to do, I think that should cushion a bit of it. But ultimately all of us uh, find our own destiny by being on the field, on the ground and discovering how where things lead us small interactions with random interactions with people here and there sometimes change our life so to be open-minded to be positive uh, that that's what i would say like this a, a, a i mean the fear mongering that i talked about is also this that is making a lot of people around quite pessimistic i lost a job because of ai but uh, i'm not letting it push me down i have accepted it that this is going to happen that this will happen also in the future so i'm trying to see how i can up my game how I can become a better, how, how and what is it that I can do which AI cannot do, how, how I can be better and better at it. So I guess that is one of the ways. I just want to build on uh, Satyan's advice. You know, we need to discover an emotional resilience within ourselves. We will have more shocks. 
we will have more things to be worried about, inevitably, and it's appropriate to be cautiously worried, but we're going to need an inner resilience so that we are not depressed by it, we are not diminished by it, that we can find in the midst of that new opportunities. And that's going to require not just emotional resilience, it's going to require an agility. Agility means the ability to experiment with things quickly. So we might not know what you'll be doing in a strange circumstance. So instead of spending three years studying a subject and deciding at the end of three years whether we like it or not, we need to be skilled at maybe trying it for three days and getting a flavor of three days whether we think there's a scenario for us. So breaking down complex tasks into small chunks and being emotionally resilient could make a big difference. And we can be helped in both of these by the right kind of AI assistant. You know, a right AI assistant will help us to be more emotionally resilient, I think, in the near future. So when I'm typing my emails, currently if I misspell a word, it will suggest that I should spell it differently. In the future, it might say, you've just dropped an F-bomb in here. Do you really mean that? Or other words, you know, it might help me to think more positively and it may give me suggestions, not how to get from, say, London to Cambridge from A to B in uh, geography, but it might help me to get from where I am now to where I think I want to get to in my life, mapping out a course. So I think the key to these skills is, as you said, Satyam, getting a hold of these personal AI assistants. And they are here to an extent already. There are new ones all the time. So I encourage our listeners and viewers, experiment with these AI systems. Figure out which ones are useful already. They won't be the completed article. They won't be the best ever, but they may help us in a small way to be better versions of ourselves sooner than would otherwise be possible. Thank you for listening to the Delta Dialogue. This episode is brought to you by the UN, a tech community focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare, machine learning, and related disciplines. I am Amir Mustafa and see you next time.